Hey Zwifters, I'm Simon Schofield and this is the Zwiftcast. The smart bike is tax leading the charge. Is Zwift getting more or less friendly? And are teams the answer? And smart versus dumb, which trainer is right for you? Welcome to my companion de route, Nathan Guerra. Yo, dude. Hey, Simon. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. And the llama himself, Shane Miller. G'day, mate. G'day, Simon. How's things? Not too bad with me, thank you. Although it's dark and cold here, and I've just seen on the video feed that it's uh, light and beautiful in Australia. So I'll try and get over my jealousy. For the first time, I'm coming to you from outside today. I'm in shorts and t-shirt. The sun's just setting. We've had a beautiful day riding. It's uh, it's a magic place to be. Well, and there's any salt for the wound there. I mean, come on now. <laughs> I have to tell listeners, we did just do a bit of a level check and there were kookaburras in the background. I mean, can you get more Australian? Only if a kangaroo jumps out and tackles me, as we saw on the internet the other day. So uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. If it does, I'll get it on camera. (laughs) Well, chaps, where should we start? I'll tell you what, how about this? My regular riding buddies were ribbing me the other day about my first ride outside of the year, like when it was going to be, because obviously they needed to get the marching band and the dancing people booked. I did tell them it'd be quite soon, but I told them it might also be in Spain on a pro team stamping ground. Um, The responses were, they were less than generous, fellas, I have to tell you, (laughs) Um, and pretty much unbroadcastable. So we'll probably leave that one there. Nathan, when and where were you last out in the real world? I think it was September. It was a while ago, September, late, late, late summer, early fall. I had just come back from the collarbone, so I was able to get out, and I was testing it out essentially and doing a vision cycling uh, clinic with a bunch of riders that we put on at a local trail. But as far as all the training, it has been on Zwift since then pretty much. Yeah, that's probably pretty much the same for me. I remember last year, the first ride I went out, rather embarrassingly, I had a bit of an off. Um now, I did hit a big pothole uh, and it did bang my hands off the off the bars. But I did wonder whether kind of three months of indoor riding had, uh, there was a, a factor involved in that. What do you think, Shane? Hmm, that's an interesting one. Um, maybe, because I've always said indoors will make you fit and strong, but outdoors you work on your skills. So sure, I reckon there'll be a bit of rust there in the system. But I think when you're back on your bike, it's just like riding a bike. You'll never forget. <laughs> well, it ought to be, shouldn't it? I, I should have remembered that was when I was picking myself up off the ground and uh, <laughs> uh, examining my slightly bent bike after that uh, rather nasty incident, I have to say. But I did uh, I recovered fairly quickly and uh, was a lot more careful next time out. Um, I suppose the, the, the question about riding outside is, as usual for you, Shane, it's, it's turned upside down. It was really probably more, when was the last time you rode inside? And I thought, I think maybe a volcano was involved. Oh, for sure. I've been doing, uh, well, as soon as the volcano was out, I had to jump on and see what it was all about and uh, see what the hot topic was, so to speak. Um, did a few hot laps of the volcano in both directions, and it's a good five-minute circuit, which is my kind of interval, so I don't mind it at all. Um, but I've also, I did a pretzel two days ago. So I jumped on and did an old-school pretzel, so 75 kilometers, and that was testing some beta firmware for a trainer. So, yeah, we're blessed with um, both options at the moment, indoors and out. Nice. What do you think of the volcano? bit too flat but i know there's a gated road there that we're going to get some hills in so it's uh, it's super tough really tough because there's a few little bumps that change the resistance and for me it's always aiming at that five minute barrier so for me it's painful at the moment because i'm just trying to crack the five minute barrier nathan it's got the looks of being a good racing circuit i've raced on it but only using half of it i've not actually used it as a kind of crit course um how's it looking for for racing purposes well, actually, while Shane was out the other day, we were uh, chatting quite a bit on uh, on Discord while I was doing my 25-lap achievement. And during that 25-lap achievement, we had a lot of chitter and chatter going on about who was out there with us and kind of a little bit of competition during the rides uh, to get some fast laps going. And that experience was 
really interesting having uh, people kind of always within sight, this continual course that's coming at you and you're really familiar with it over and over again so you can get familiar with where to attack on it. So it definitely acts like a, a, a real crit course. I'm really excited about it and uh, I think it's a great course for racing so far. Yeah, well, I, I, I like a circuit myself and, uh, you know, it's a good circuit, good racing circuit. Okay, let's race quickly through a, uh, some other new stuff. And this was a really interesting one. Did you see the, the Zwifter who slipped through some crazy kind of time and space continuum or, or some uh, gap in the warp and weft of the of the universe and ended up riding completely alone on, on what was very obviously an uncompleted extension to the London route? Now, there have been rumours about extension to the London route for, for some little time. So that... Didn't take me too much by surprise, but, <laughs> but the idea that this guy suddenly kind of found himself transported to to a course that was clearly still being worked on. I mean, the mechanism for making that happen was... I just couldn't get my head around it. I mean, I, I just don't understand how that could have happened. Shane, John Mayfield, the, the creator of the game, he does have a habit of, of teasing us, particularly when there's new features due to be released and the way that information slipped out on Zwift sometimes is is kind of you know it's not direct and obvious sometimes uh, do you think this was one of John's tricks or or just some weird accident I think it was just a glitch in the matrix I don't think it was planned or it was just simply by accident and for me it's fascinating coming from IT security this is exactly what IT security is all about it's the exception when things you know exceptions to the rule that you don't actually plan for so I'm guessing they didn't want anyone writing this it was it, what we saw from the landscape it was very sparse not very populated with graphics so it was off to the side I loved it. I'm fascinated by this. It's a bit of a hack to the system. We don't know how it happened, but you can guarantee if we find out how it happened, we're all going to be doing it because we want to ride this new road. But I do like the rider then posted a ton of screenshots, posted the ride to Strava to validate it. Actually, he did do the ride um, and released all the information. I love that. That's great. The, uh, the community again, uh, one step ahead of Zwift. Yeah, I mean, that guy reacted really quickly, didn't he? I think I'd have been so shocked. I'm not sure I'd have remembered to take any screenshots, but uh, he got like as much detail as he, as he possibly could gather on it. Is there a parallel in the gaming world? I mean, does this ever happen in the gaming world that something clearly not ready slips out, Nathan? Actually, this is extremely common. Uh, there's always bug fixes going out in the gaming world for things that aren't necessarily Easter eggs, but ways that the game can be manipulated. And I would be really surprised if this isn't repeatable. Uh, and I think that we might not have the populations, though, that the regular gaming world does, where if something like this pops up in a, in a game that has uh, a huge, huge, huge population, all of a sudden there's a whole forum somewhere on how exactly do you do this thing and how do you get there? And I think you might see some people um, trying to figure out exactly how this happened and uh, replicate the, the circumstances. I have a feeling it is still out there somehow. How about we uh, try and arrange a secret race on the new course that we can't get to? And it's, so it's going to be a very, very exclusive club. <laughs> <laughs> that would be an exclusive club. I mean, the thing is, if you can get back into it, sure, as X or X, as my grandmother used to say, somebody is going to find a way of doing it. Um, what it did reveal, of course, is the next big course development is definitely, definitely London. Um Although we know that there is probably a climb pending on on the volcano as well, but but I mean that that looked to be a fairly significant extension. Um, Shane, would you would you have preferred to have seen Watopia extended or London extended? I mean, just treat that question in isolation. Let's pretend we don't know either of these extensions are coming. Um, where would you have focused the next um, big extension if it was your choice? That's an interesting one. Yeah, I think on London because it doesn't. It lacks a bit of character. It has one sort of major hill, um, but it needs some just a bit of mix up. Watopia has lots of different mix ups um, that I can choose for my free ride training. Um, so yeah, London. London's a good choice. I'd like to go to the top of the volcano, and I think they might do that first. I don't know. Uh, I think that the volcano is already developed enough, and that other world did not look developed compared to what I've seen on the volcano. So uh, I. I, I 
you know, with the volcano the way it is right now and seeing that road blocked off there every time you go by, it's a little bit of a teaser for everybody. So uh, I'd like to see the volcano. I like Watopia a lot, though. So I'm a, I'm a little favoritism there, I think. This is the Swiftcast, the podcast for Swifters. Nathan, uh, Zwift Community Live, which is a bit of a mouthful, I think we abbreviate it to uh, ZCL. Uh, it's looking absolutely great. Um, how, I mean, how's it going? Are most people watching live feeds or watching the reruns? Is there anything you can tell us about your stats? Uh, you know, I'm, it's only been really up for the last couple of weeks. How's, how are things with it? It's been half and half uh, for live versus uh, watching it video on demand. Uh, and we're also in a lot of different places, which people uh, don't uh, realize just yet. They mainly see us, I think, on the Facebook, uh, which we is our, our main push right now. But we're also on Twitch Beam and our main VOD push will be on YouTube. Everything is high quality on YouTube for the video on demand. But uh, definitely on Facebook is the main place. I was really impressed by the numbers right up front. I think within the first few days, we hit 50,000 views, which was uh, pretty amazing. And so some of the most popular stuff is not the racing. And that's one of the things we really want to highlight is that it's not just a racing channel. It is a showcasing of all things awesome in Zwift, the community showcasing what you guys are doing out there in the community. And so one of the most popular segments is actually uh, Life in Cycling with Mrs. Coach. Uh, Lindsay, my wife, is actually doing segments that are all about uh, doing life and cycling at the same time, the, uh, the, you know, the ups and the downs, the pinnacles, the valleys, like, how do you go through this? What, how does, has she come against the challenges as, uh, you know, and especially women's cycling focus there as well as, uh, doing it as a family, you know, all the different things. I mean, we've been at this for 15 years and, uh, she's had this perspective as being a very high end athlete herself in women's cycling, uh, racing against pros and cat one level. So, uh, she brings a, a wide breath to the, uh, to the show. And that's actually one of the most popular segments that is, uh, a lot of the comments say, you know, this is very real talk. Um, and then we also are getting some coaches in, it looks like, uh, coming in to do workouts. Uh, we had Scotty Weiss, world champ, current TT and road race, uh, masters world champion actually last night for the Wednesday volcano ride or Wednesday Watopia ride that he leads as a group. So, I mean, we we're highlighting all kinds of things and it's, uh, it's taking off. People are, uh, jumping on. It seems like, uh, daily where, uh, people are noticing what's happening there. So we're having a lot of fun with it. That's great. Well, that's really good to hear. Um, shall we, shall we break the news chaps that, um, that we are going to transfer, um, the Zwiftcast brand, I should, I think we should call it, which sounds ridiculously posh, but, uh, People know what I mean. Um, uh, from audio to to also video, and we are actually going to have a or make an attempt to have a Zwiftcast live show on on ZCL. Um, um, we were thinking of maybe making it a kind of Q and A format so people could ask questions, which may mean Shane that the entire world asks you all their tech support questions related to Zwift. Now, could you cope? They do anyway. It's all good. Yep, bring it on. <laughs> Actually, the other day, and just on the uh, the Zwiftcast Live stuff. Oh, sorry, the um, Zwift Community Live. Um, I was just riding along whilst I was doing the pretzel, and I jumped on the Discord channel, and I thought, oh, because I've got low bandwidth again, Australia, and I just jumped onto the Discord channel, and Nathan and I were chatting away, and then he switches to the screen to my screen riding, um, and then I was part of the show straight away um then i actually had a friend I, I'll, I'll dive into a little story here. i had a friend racing me up the hill and i just backed off a little bit and then i attacked him and he tried to attack back and this is all on zwift community live and then i'm commentating because i'm on the discord channel i beat him to the line and he's like oh don't wait for me at the top oh, he didn't even know we were live streaming but i got to contribute to that very very easily there were no technical hurdles for me to live feed things in i was just riding along nathan had this screen of my um, zwift screen up i had the audio in it was brilliant. It was really, really good. And we also rode along and just talked for a while. And somebody, I think, put on Twitter, that was amazing. They just happened to be listening in and watching the live stream. Like, that was just like a talk show. So it was a bit of an unofficial test, I guess. Uh, sorry, Simon, you weren't invited? No, only kidding. It was just a, just a, a random occurrence. Um, and it worked really well. 
So I think that's a great platform there for people to be able to chip in and have feedback and discussion rather than sort of the one way that we get at the moment with either the podcast or even my YouTube channel. So, and that's what Nathan's been doing forever. It's the two-sided conversation or multi-conversation that you have at once. It's going to be big. Can't wait. I'm looking forward to taking part in that. Actually, it should, it should be good fun. That 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 kind of whole interactive thing. Although I, I will only answer questions on matters of opinion. I'll leave the matters of fact, technical fact to you. I think Shane. Um, anyway, I was over in Holland visiting Tax a few days ago, and we are going to get to Flux and uh, Tax's QC processors and all of that stuff um, later in this episode. But just first, I wanted you to take a listen to this. It's an excerpt from a, a much longer interview I did with the boss of Tax, who is called Simon Tax, and that's because it's a family company. Listen to this. How far can smart trainers develop beyond what the NEO currently offers? It, I mean, are we now in a position where the good will get slightly better and the best will stay more or less the same? Or do you think there's another big leap forward that could be taken? In terms of technology, I think we push it quite to the to the boundary, but there are a few tricks we uh, we still have in mind to add to the to a future Neo product. Um, but I think you covered it also a little bit in your last uh, podcast uh, discussing a smart bike. We have that something a project like that in mind as well, and yeah, it might be something in the direction of the Neo, of course. We never we never sit still, so uh, yeah, we're trying to launch a new product every year, and that's uh, that's our aim. But uh, oh. difficult to say uh, what's all. Uh, up on our up up in our sleeve at the moment. Okay. Well, I think you know what's up in your sleeve at the moment. So I'm I gonna, know what it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to push you on that a bit. I mean, could the smart bike, for instance, look like the Neo at the back and have a bit of a framework on it? I mean, is that the sort of area that we might be talking about when we say smart bike? I mean, people can't visualize it. You see, I'm trying to visualize this thing. Yeah, I, I completely understand that there is. Um, much curiosity about, about what is coming out next year. Uh, it's also a little bit a slippery slope on this one because I know other trainer companies are working on similar projects. If I if I say all the perks now, what, what we are, yeah, then then yeah, okay. I give an I give an advantage to our competitors. Yeah. I I okay, I, I understand defend. that. Okay, well in that case, let me not ask you for details. Let me ask you then. The straight up question, you know, are you working on the smart bike concept? Well, uh, you consider yourself uh, a good journalist, I guess. But uh, when you were running past our office, you saw things you uh, you probably wanted to see at this, uh, in this, at this moment. I did glint something out the corner of my eye, actually, but... No, you were, yeah. 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 Okay. I don't think I'm going to get any further on that, listeners. I, I, I did. I honestly did try as hard as I possibly could on that one. Um, but I think listeners are perhaps going to have to draw their own conclusions on that. What listeners weren't able to see was the body language and the, and the glints in the eye, and the, you know the audio can't convey that. Um, to me, that was pretty much confirmation that tax are working on a smart bike and the starting point is probably the Neo. Shane, would that be your interpretation? I know you only just heard that short excerpt, but I'm sure you, you've listened to every word two or three times. Hmm, not sure, not sure. I'll sit back and just monitor this one um, and work on hard fact and data when we see it, but hmm. You're not convinced, are you? You see, I think that they're on to a head start because the Neo is already a very good-looking thing that you could imagine having in the house, not the garage or the basement. Uh, and, you know, it would be a good platform for a smart bike, would it not? It would. It's their top end. But, I mean, I've spoken about my um, my opinion of smart bikes, and I'm not the market. I'm definitely not the market for a smart bike. So, But if the community really adopt these things great but i'm sitting back at the moment i'm i'm just pe- peeping over the fence nathan the, this would be aimed at the fitness market the in-home fitness market and that that is big i mean as you were just saying about Lindsay's piece you know I, I mean i would imagine a lot of the audience for that might be what we might call a fitness audience uh, yeah, definitely. We see a lot of people coming in with uh, a lot of uh, introductory questions to the world of cycling. And so definitely uh, in the fitness market, I think pricing then though in the fitness market is a huge question. When you're building a smart bike, so you're adding things onto the Neo, which is already a fairly expensive unit. 
you are correct. It is a good looking unit, but um, it is a fairly high end unit. So that's a concern right off the bat. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with you there, Simon, and say it sounds like they are already on this. And I think that the dollars are there coming in because of Zwift. We see this over and over again where the uh, company is actually marketing directly alongside Zwift. That I saw um, a Wahoo ad the other day and Zwift was the thing that was in the ad actually, right alongside showing the unit itself. And so I think this is opening up a whole new segment where they're getting all these new sales, but they have a little bit extra R&D to work with and go, we can throw that at this and we'll be the first ones to market and let's take a shot at it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good analysis, actually. I mean, both for what Zwift has done for this market, and and we're not going to hear it in this podcast, we'll hear it in the next episode. But there was a telling moment for me where we stood in the warehouse at Tax, you know, huge warehouse, huge, huge warehouse. And there were boxes and boxes and boxes of non-smart trainers, um, uh, you know, really tall piles. And then we moved down the warehouse a little bit and the, 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 the space that had been allocated to the Neos and the Fluxers, there was this sad little pile of about four four trainers waiting for dispatch because basically they just can't make these things fast enough. As fast as they make them, they sell them. and 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 that has to be down, not solely to Zwift, but account for that must be Zwift and the general popularity of, of indoor riding. And it's not until you actually physically see these things that, that you kind of fully begin to understand the, the, the impact. Um, and there's nothing quite like an empty warehouse for bringing it home to you that these things really are, are flying off the shelves. Really, really, really interesting. Um, who else do you think is working on it, Shane? It can't be tax alone. Stages already have a bike out there, but I never see anybody on them or talking about them. Um, but not really a smart bike, I don't think. I mean, what bike have to be doing something because the what bike platform, I think there's potential there for their market. I mean, they have got the, the templates, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Now, they've got the distribution already sort of globally anyway. So if they come out with a product, they plug it straight into that and away you go. So while I mightn't agree with them and they're not my thing just yet until the next one comes out, that's brilliant. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I think Stages might be doing something there. What bike should be doing something? If they're not, hey, what bike? Time to start now. I, I personally would be very, very, very surprised if if Wahoo weren't working on something as well. But uh, no doubt, no doubt, we'll find out. I'm Simon Schofield. This is the Zwiftcast. As we know, Zwift has been a big success, at least in part due to its social nature. But as it's grown, are some of the social aspects diminishing? By that, I mean things like texting in-game and the giving of ride-ons. Now, here's an interesting example from one Zwifter, a guy called Al Cluley. Um, He says that in 20-odd miles of riding around London, with more than 2,500 riders on course, he received the grand total of one ride-on. He then did another session, which he used the hack to get into a non-scheduled day and was riding round the London course. As a result of that, there were many fewer riders on. Um, But in 60-odd miles there, um, with only 15 riders on the whole time he was on, he got 14 ride-ons. A crowded course feels like a big city where everybody ignores each other and... Uh, a small cause or a restricted experience feels like a little village where everybody talks to each other. It, is there any merit in this, Nathan, in this this idea that Zwift has now got so big that actually we're not kind of talking to each other as much as we used to? I would have to agree uh, with that. Uh, the idea of being able to group uh, would be outside of just the event module. And even event modules have gotten so big. I've had feedback from friends that have gotten in uh, to Zwift that I've gotten into Zwift and are riding and they're like, yeah, it's really cool. But I mean, I join these events and then I'm just amongst this mass of people if it's of a really big group and I can't really make sense of who's who. And I joined into the group because my buddies are in it and I can't find them. And so I think that uh, the idea of grouping, creating a um, some sort of way to 
group together and go do this route or go do that route on the fly might be something that uh, Zwift has in mind maybe. But uh, yeah, I think uh, the idea of indoor cycling made social is probably something they're thinking about developing a little more on the social side of things. We did hear a little bit about voice chat coming on the line. I would wonder if that would also be coupled with that ability to group with other individuals in some sort of way. Yeah, I mean, what I would call the casual social aspect seems to have have diminished. Now, Shane, you are probably the world's worst person to ask for an opinion on this, because as was proved when I watched your volcano ride, you only have to kind of put your nose um, uh, into the software and you are showered with with ride-ons. I mean, you are... Mr. Mr. Popular. So I'm not sure how well placed you are to uh, to comment on this, but but have you noticed it talking to other people and other users that that it has kind of got well, kind of less social, really? Yeah. Look, I, being on Zwift from the very very early days, um, I've got a few followers, and I think people have started. I initially was put on probably notifications when I started writing, so I start writing and a shower of thumbs come down, which I love. It's it's kind of cool, but there's definitely no hiding for me when I want to do a workout. Uh, everyone knows. Um, look, I think I see that more in chat. It used to be a lot of group chat, and again, it comes back to we like little tribes. Um, but then when the tribe is massive, everyone just sort of shuts up and doesn't really say a lot. Um, so I, I, I think I find it fascinating. I think psychologists need to start looking at Zwift and the groupings and um, the actions uh, in large groups or small groups. There's a, probably a PhD in this, I'm sure. Arguably, the thing that is most successful about Zwift and, and has distinguished it from every other product that's been along is is its social aspect. So I'm absolutely certain they're, they're, they're paying close attention to this and thinking what they can do about it. And I'm sure voice will be one of those things. Um, but one of the things that spontaneously happened in the community, possibly to tackle this 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 idea that um, big is uh, big is impersonal, is the development of teams. Um, and one team that's been particularly popular with racers just starting out is a team called TFC. So I thought it was about time we found out a little bit more about TFC. Racing on Zwift need not be intimidating. One team, perhaps more than most, has set out to prove it. I caught up with one of the principals of Team TFC, Damon Mackay. Uh, I, I'm kind of an early adopter, I guess, of Zwift. Um, so uh, user user 3000 or so uh, from back in the beta days on, on Jarvis Island. Um, and uh, I'm kind of one of the early members of uh, Team TFC. So one of the kind of uh, community-led teams uh, with a specific focus, I guess, uh, that we started off with, which is on category C and D riders uh, in races. So uh, you know, a lot of the races are dominated by some of the faster riders. Um, uh, and we started out uh, with a, a focus very much on the uh, the guys are kind of sub 3.2 watts per kilo, uh, just starting racing and, and encouraging uh, that, that adoption in the community. Obviously, the addition of iOS support has brought some more members into the group. Um, and uh, obviously, we're, uh, we're also keeping an eye on uh, you know, Zwift riders and some of the other Facebook groups uh, for, for guys that are you know, trying the races and finding that uh, you know they're well back in the D's to start with, uh, and wondering you know, obviously how to, to make some progress. And your flagship event and where the name TFC comes from, I think, was the Friday Criterium, which was a race series, strangely enough, on a Friday. It was indeed, yeah. So uh, we we spun out of that race series, and again that that race series was originally uh, open just to category C and D races, and uh, and proved to be very popular. So uh, it also had a, a kind of own point systems, a few things that that Alan and the other guys have uh, have developed. Uh, we've just had a, a time trial series. Uh, we'll also be starting a. a a new criterion series um so we've we've opened that up now to category a and b riders as well um so uh, as all the events on on zwift the races have got much bigger uh, with more uh, more people joining in you know it's just a, a an index really isn't it of how fast zwift is growing and how its tentacles are kind of reaching you know beyond the virtual world and i think your example is a, is a perfect one of that i mean you've you've started a 
effectively a club in Zwift, which has mutated into real life. I mean, that's that's incredible. It is amazing. Uh, Jeff Edwards has registered us with British Cycling, so our kit's been registered. There are one or two tweaks for that. Uh, I'm not sure if we're the first virtual team to, to cross the divide into the physical world, but uh, uh, it's certainly been a great thing. And obviously we saw uh, a huge turnout from the team for the, uh, the WBR uh, World Bicycle Relief Day. Um, I think we were uh, the second best, highest fundraiser behind the WR team itself. So, um, yeah, there's been a great team atmosphere. Um, uh, it's a very supportive environment. I think I think that's why people have, have stuck on and, and contributed and you know helped with um, you know everything from fat loss tips to uh, equipment tips. It's uh, it's been a, a great Facebook group and um, can uh, can be quite distracting, I must say. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. Yeah, um, uh, it's probably just worth reiterating, Damon, because a lot of, of new people coming onto Zwift and they see team and they think, oh, not for me, or I need to be invited, or you know, there's some kind of special conditions, or they're all terrible elitists and and fast ri- fast riders and stuff. I mean, what 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 are the conditions for for joining TFC? Uh, well, effectively, if I think you need to have uh, done one or two races or done an FTP test at least. Um, um, and then, uh, you know, Alan, myself and the other admins, uh, we, we've just kind of uh, elected our, our first officers, I guess, to, to get a bit more formal about this because of the numbers involved. Um, but an FTP test so we can judge exactly what category you're in, um, I think is the big thing. But if you haven't done that yet, that's fine. Uh, do just reach out on the Facebook group to uh, Team TFC um, and uh, and we'll run you through uh, kind of what's involved in, in signing up. Um, as I say, we, we started out specialising in, in category D and C riders. So there's a real beginners right through to uh, uh, about three watts a kilo, something of that order. Um, and uh, you know, we do have a number of B&A races as well now and that, that has broadened um, through the, the Criterium series and, and other events that we've run. Um, but uh, as I say, it's a, it's a supportive group that's taken people through. I, I joined as 118 kilos and a uh, very slow category D rider uh, and I'm moving up towards the, the top end of uh, the seas now, um, sort of 12, 15 kilos lighter. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's been a really supportive group and we've also got some very dedicated races as well so there's a real mixture in there but uh, yeah good good bunch of guys doing an ftp test you know it's kind of almost the first thing that that many uh, new swifters do so I, d- I don't see that as a any kind of barrier really to, to joining the team and it's great to hear you're so inclusive it's also great really just to salute you i think for everything that you've done to encourage racing in the in those lower cats because um you know people can be intimidated but uh, you know as i often say on the podcast uh, uh, racing on swift is just the most enormous fun uh, and to see you guys encouraging it or at least starting out encouraging it at the um, the slightly lower end of the cats was uh, m- much appreciated by the community so um, uh, thank you for all the all the work you've done in that area yeah, we've had a lot of great events. So a lot of people have come up the ranks, which is fantastic to see. Um, and as you say, more and more uh, female members. So uh, we're just looking at our, our first uh, female-only event uh, and one or two more social rides as well. So um, we'll be broadening that out over the next month so to keep peeled. Excellent. Well done, Damon. Thanks for all your work. Well done on the weight loss and lovely to talk to you on the podcast. You too. Lovely to speak to you, Simon. And keep up the good work. Thank you. Uh, well, they do excellent work at TFC, as do all the teams on Swift. Um, Nathan, we'd be lost a bit, really, without teams, wouldn't we? Yeah, I think uh, as far as the community coming together and people being able to identify with a group of people, uh, it definitely is absolutely huge. And I think that's the main focus with teams, is that it's a group of people that you identify with, that you've hung out with, and you guys have uh, you know, this common bond in riding together. That's the I think that's the main focus. And actually... TFC, I interact with those guys almost every day, actually. Uh, a few of their uh, heads of state hang out in the channel every day, and they even have their own emote in the channel, actually, for people to cheer for their team in uh, in the Beam channel. Shane, teams are just a way, really, of chunking down this enormous uh, Zwift Facebook community now. I mean, we're now up to, I think, twenty six or 27,000 members on Zwift Riders. I mean, that's kind of too big, isn't it, really? Yeah, for sure. Um, so we're all tribal, I guess. So everyone joins a little group and then goes off and fights other tribes together. I like it. <laughs> it's very primitive. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's how we're programmed to yeah. operate, though. Yeah. Um, uh, but the teams are, are generally a really good thing. And I'd, I'd encourage people to, to, to look out for a team um, as a way of kind of easing you into the Zwift world if you're new to it. Right on. 
Okay, let's talk in detail about tax. A few days ago, I went to Holland and this was for the second of my factory visits. I've already been to Elite and at this stage, it's probably just worth stating the rules of engagement here so that listeners are completely clear. I paid all my own way, all my own expenses to get to Holland and stay there and uh, spend time with tax. I do ride a tax Neo most of the time. I will probably say it's it's my favourite trainer out of all of them. But again, I have paid for that with my own money. So I think it is just without making too big a deal of it worth people being aware of those facts. So here's the first of my reports from tax. Well, here we are in Amsterdam Central Station on our way out to see tax. Now, the last time I saw tax there, tails were up. Back in August at Eurobike, the eagerly awaited new trainer, the Flux, was the talk of the show. But on a cold and foggy day in Amsterdam, a few months on, the Flux story took a turn that tax certainly wouldn't have chosen. Today, I'm expecting them to be just a little bit more on the back foot. We can't ignore the difficult launch of the flux, and although tax has clawed back some ground recently, the company's QC process has been front of mind for consumers. So, I think we'll start there. But let's get to the factory first. I've made the short trip from Amsterdam Central by fast, efficient cheap train out to the town of Leiden and from here it's just a couple of minutes to the suburb of Wassenaar, a prosperous little place which is where the tax factory is based. So I'm starting my factory tour of tax and uh, the most important thing is I've just met the company dog. The dog was called Steffi, a lovely little dog, and I'd just like to reassure listeners who are dog lovers that he wasn't wandering around on the factory floor, he was in the reception area. We'll come back to the factory because it's really interesting, full of robots and big on automation. But let's get straight into the QC department. We're focusing on this because regular listeners will know that a problem was found with the trainer after it got into the market. So a good place to start was with Martin Smits, who heads QC. Would you explain to us exactly what QC is, um, particularly for the flux, because that's the thing that um, is kind of in the news, as it were, at the moment? Yeah. Now, for every uh, product, we've got the same process. We assemble the product, and uh, when it's ready, we test it 100%. So no product will leave the factory without it, that it's tested. Uh, of course, we also listen to the noise it's, it's making, uh, but when it leaves the factory, it's, uh, it's quiet. There were two problems with the flux. One much, much more common than the other. Both uh, were issues uh, we, we couldn't detect uh, in the manufacturing process. So that was a problem, because otherwise we, uh, yeah, we, would have, uh, uh, yeah, we wouldn't have let them out, of course. <laughs> How is it that those two problems could escape the QC process? Of course, we've, we designed it, and after you design it, you make prototypes, you test the prototypes. But the assembly process is different during uh, development and during production. So they altered uh, the way they assembled it, and that caused problems. Based on changes in the assembly process to speed up the, the process, yeah, and that uh, was the problem. And since the problems have come to light and you've investigated them and tracked them down, have you changed the QC process now for the flux? Yes, of course. Uh, after every unit, we, uh, every unit which comes back, we analyse it and we, uh, we count all the, the different uh, issues. And then we analyse it and we improve the process. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, yeah, we can improve the materials, sometimes we can improve uh, the, the moulds, and sometimes we have to improve the, the, the assembly process. Tax also hit problems early in the production run with their flagship Neo trailer. These have now been solved. I guess what consumers will want to know is, is, is how these things get to the stage where they do get out into the market going through your quality control processes. The problem occurred in the field and when it left the factory it was okay. So yeah, you can do what you want in quality control, but you won't detect it. You really have got to uh, uh, adapt your processes, uh, clean everything uh, very well, and then uh, it should be okay. So I guess what you're saying 
to some extent is that the ultimate test is the marketplace. Yeah, but we don't want to get uh, problems into the market, of course. We are, we are preventing always uh, things like that. Because uh, uh, when you want to train, uh, you want to, uh, to start it. And yeah, when you have to stop because your product isn't working, that's very annoying. So yeah, with every new product, of course, you can have some uh, unexpected uh, uh, yeah, surprises. Unexpected surprises, that's probably the best summary of what's gone on. And one which the boss of tax, Simon Tax, repeated later. He simply called it bad luck. It's also important to put these problems into context. Tax claim the flux failure rate is under 2%. That figure's been corroborated by some unofficial research by owners on social media. And we must also acknowledge that social media does tend to amplify these failures. It's something companies have to deal with these days and it affects the confidence of consumers. It's also worth mentioning that in keeping a real close eye on this problem, as I have been doing, tax has been seen to have provided first-class customer service to affected owners. Uh, we are sure that every product which leaves uh, the factory now uh, is correct. I, I tested, uh, we, did, we did some improvements and I tested it up to 8,000 watts, so that's really uh, incredible, and 100 kilometers an hour. So, uh, so 8,000 watts, this was an acceleration, so that's, that's a real uh, sprint, and 2,000 watts continuously at 100 kilometers an hour, so a very extreme test. And just to conclude on QC, it was interesting to see tanks using the identical system I saw at Elite to run their accuracy tests on freshly assembled NEOs and fluxes. What we're seeing here is a pretty gigantic, hefty-looking motor, uh, a very large crankshaft with a sensor in the middle of it. Martin's just turned it on and it started to spin this flux on the test bench. Um, so Martin, presumably what you're doing is calibrating, is looking at the power yeah. that this torque sense is showing us and looking at the power that the yeah. that the flux yeah. is reading. So this is within the uh, tolerances we expected. So you see now 49 over here and 51 over there. So that's rather accurate. And uh, yeah, when you uh, listen to the noises, yeah, you won't uh, hear it. Then you got to check the power again. So now we're putting a significant, uh, a significantly bigger amount of power through the flux. It's yep. it's well over 300 watts now. Yeah, now we've got to wait for some uh, stability of the temperature, and then it will be within the range. And this one isn't calibrated yet, so we can uh, do a self-calibration, spin-down calibration at the right temperature, and then it will be within the the, the right range. And, and this is the process that every flux yeah. will go through. Yeah, yeah. That, that's correct. Yeah. So it must be within 5%. We know already that it's much uh, narrower, but we won't uh, yeah, publish it yet to the market because uh, yeah, we've got to be sure that every uh, unit is within that 5%. And the flux units I saw tested fell well within the 5% accuracy margin. I also saw a couple of NEOs tested, and the results there were very impressive, with accuracy of around 0.25% against a professional power meter. But it is the flux that's grabbed the headlines recently. Is the company now completely satisfied that the problems are solved and that replacements are being provided in a timely fashion where needed? I asked the boss, Simon Tax. I think the, the, the flux is now okay. I must say that on social media, when you go to the flux owners group, it's uh, like a negative vibe, uh, but it's also a small group of people. It, the, the number of people who bought a, a flux, um, it's, it's much greater. Um, I think there are very, uh, I think there are a lot of people in the market which are, who are really happy with the, with the flux they have at the moment. Um, so I don't think it, have a, it has a long-term effect. It was a, like a bump in the road. We hope it's over, we think it's over. Uh, if there's anybody with a problem, we will help them as best as possible. Shane, I am going to be upfront about this. And, you know, when you spend time with people, it, it, it can be easy to be influenced. But also you do get a sense of how seriously a company are taking a problem when, when you see up close and personal exactly how it is that they're dealing with it and you know let's not be mealy-mouthed about this the whole flux thing has been 
well, unfortunate is one word, you know, uh, uh, a total nightmare might be another, you know, not only for affected consumers and particularly for affected consumers, but, but also the company. My take on this was that the worst is now over. And I think they've possibly done as much as they are able to do to exchange faulty units quickly. Um, it has blown up again in the past couple of days, that last day actually, that that people are waiting too long for, for exchange units or that tax are treating them in a slightly impersonal way. I mean, it's such a hard problem to solve this. You're a bit more hardline than me, I think, on this. Do you think more could be done still? Look, from a customer's uh, support point of view, what I've seen in the forums, and their hats off to tax straight away, I've got to give them full credit for how they're dealing with this uh, directly. They're doing the best they can um, in the situation. Yeah, look, I called Fluxgate early on, but I'm still not wearing a T-shirt saying don't buy a Flux just yet. Uh, so, <laughs> look, it is unfortunate. But look, from what I've seen in the forums, they've been really, really good with customer support. They've been upfront. But what they're also dealing with now is because they've got distribution channels as well. You're dealing with uh, shops or um, warehouses and just it, it, it sort of muddies the waters with their dealing direct with cl- customers and clients and people with issues. But from what I've seen as a, as a bystander, because... To be honest, my experience so far, I've blown up two units and I've sort of taken a back seat now. And again, I'm peering over the fence just to see what's going on. I'm quite active in the forums and I know what's going on, um, but I am sort of sort of taking a back seat, watching how it's actually unfolding. What I'm thinking though is there's time bombs out there. It's like they've got a uh, they've manufactured a ton of bullets and these bullets may fire backwards. Like if that happened in any other industry, there'd be a full product recall. Um, so. The earlier model units, I still think they should be pulling them off the shelves and not selling them. Product recall, I mean, that's generally in safety cases, isn't it? So if if a product is going to harm you, it, it might be recalled. Um, um, personally, I, I you know I think a recall would be would be over the top in this in this instance. Actually, that is a very good point. Usually, product recalls are around safety, um, but I'm I'm worried about the safety of taxes, um, consumer confidence. I want that to be restored. Um, they're a great company, and as you've spent time with the guys, they're a great company. They're a great group of people. Um, just an unfortunate circumstance with the flux. Yeah, yeah. Well, that much is is true. And I, you know, again, I think one of the really interesting things. Uh, about this whole story is the role that social media has played in it uh, with, with you actually at the center to be honest shane uh, of the whole social media phenomenon around the tax um flux and i wanted to talk to the company about this um because in the days of kind of instant video uploads of affected machinery it must um, be something that they have to consider so again i asked the company boss simon tax how they view social media in this case it was quite helpful actually because the speed of getting information is much quicker than uh, through the yeah to the selling or distribution uh, channel uh, it takes a few days for us to get back the flux and analyze the product we don't know what the what the problems are uh, we don't know if there even is a problem we, the only information flow that goes really fast is our customer support, of course. It's interesting to hear you say that actually you found parts of social media helpful because of the speed of response and the speed of reporting this, this particular problem. But do you live in fear of social media or do you now just accept that it's a really vital part of marketing that you just absolutely have to, to to find a way to live with and use to your advantage and and it's just now part of life in my perception i think most people within the company are seeing social media more as a as a conversation directly with our customers in this case um so from our side it's 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 important to communicate like we're sitting here talking to each other it would be quite awkward if i stopped saying anything and uh, and, and yeah would be a strange situation so social media is just having a conversation directly with um yeah our customers and that can help us it could also ruin our day if we're doing it bad but that's part of the deal i think it's uh it's it's a healthy uh, healthy situation so i mean he he obviously is going to put the best loss on it uh, as possible and describing a constant catalog of videoed complaints of uh, 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 company products kind of imploding. Uh, to describe that as a conversation is, <laughs> you know, is 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 admirably positive. But but 
you know, has he got a point? Has he got a point? Is this the most direct means of communicating with the company? Is it genuinely helpful for a company for this kind of stuff to be plastered all over social media? Or, as I tend to think, um, because you only hear of the problems that happen on social media, you only hear of the worst cases on social media, that in fact it's a huge magnifying glass and a huge distorting magnifying glass at that, Shane. Yeah, this is very, very interesting. It is a conversation, but it is a public conversation, not just between two people. It can be between thousands, tens of thousands, or even millions, maybe even a few billion if we get that number in Zwift soon and everyone's following everyone else on our social media. So that's that's the danger with this thing because if somebody has a bad experience and they talk about it and people go, oh, that's fire, let's retweet that and let's talk about this and that's the topic of discussion, it spreads so fast and the company have no control of that. It, and you get people with it's it's unfiltered. It is absolutely unfiltered. Um, so you'll get people abusing and swearing. I mean, that's just the standard trolls as well. It's it's just the open internet. It's a tough one to, for companies to deal with. And we see this not only in cycling. We see this across the board on on Facebook and the Facebook comment section and things like that. It's a tough one for companies to deal with, but they need to adapt. They really do. There's no stopping it. And there's no, um, I guess, harnessing it or reining people in. All the company can do is provide excellent service, excellent level-headed feedback. And if their products are great, people will buy, people will be happy. But this whole social media thing around product reviews and so I mean it is completely fascinating I mean you know I think it would make just even this one one aspect of it the the tax flux would make an amazing uh, case study for a for a business school or something but Nathan of course I mean you know the bike industry uh, I was going to say as ever it's not sometimes the most forward-looking of industries the the bike industry you know is now dealing with social media and the gaming industry has been dealing with that for like you know decades um does the bike industry have a lot to learn from from gaming? Uh, I think. Um, oh man, that's a that's a multi leveled question. Yeah, because you have indie games and games that are just coming up, and game production companies that are just coming up that want to do a really good release. And if they don't, it's gone. You're de- you're dead in the water. It's gone. You're gone forever. But if you have a great release and you gain a following and this community around it, then everything changes, and you can start having a conversation with your community. You can start having live streamers do live streams and create a community hub around your game. And, you know, so, I mean, there's this, but it's kind of like that initial launch is really, really important. Uh, I mean, if something goes wrong immediately, they're on Twitter, bam, hitting it up. Like, yeah, we know this server's down and, and people understand, and there might be a little rage here and there or whatever, but the reality is that the game is, is already made it and they're having an active conversation with their community. And we're actually seeing this with Zwift. Uh, Zwift is immediately picked up on this and having active conversations with their users, being a game that isn't going to be the size of any Blizzard game, World of Warcraft, Overwatch, or uh, anything like that, uh, those guys don't need to have that active conversation. But we are seeing this in the Zwift community where there is this active feedback continually going on within the the social media realms now. And I think that's a really good thing for uh, for Zwift to take an approach like that in this gaming realm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a a huge, huge, huge subject. I I think probably the thing that's most of interest to Zwifters because we're all part of this community is is in fact that word community, you know, and, and a community has sprung up around the difficulties that tax have had with, with one particular trainer. It's just, it's fascinating to observe. And then of course that community needs to be managed and, you know, the the opinion of that community then starts to count in the in the wider universe. Really, 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 really interesting stuff. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Um, we're talking a lot about trainers this episode, um, but that's good because we love our trainers as Zwifters. So take a listen to this. And I'm just about to talk to Chad McNeese. Hi, Chad. Howdy. And the reason Chad's on is because he's got a more interesting trainer journey than most with a more interesting conclusion and outcome. Let's start in pre-Zwift days. What were you on? 
Uh, I started off with just rollers, essentially, and riding by time and uh, the perceived effort, uh, watching a variety of videos on there that say ride to seven, ride to eight, that type of thing. Uh, eventually, I upgraded to a Kirk Kinetic road machine that uh, allowed me to have more resistance than the rollers had. Uh, it was also a stable platform, so doing things like harder effort, sprinting, and those types of things were a little easier instead of trying to maintain balance uh, while you're kind of in the red on the rollers. So Zwift came along and like lots of people, you decided to change equipment. What, um, where did you go? Just before I got onto Zwift, I had found a good deal on a PowerTap Hub wheel set and kind of knew that I wanted to focus my training a little better. So I decided to go the route of adding a power meter to the system. So you entered the Zwift universe with um, a power meter and a basically a dumb trainer. I mean, the Kirk Kinetic, you know, people love it. It's a, it's a great trainer, but it's it's still a dumb trainer. Um, and again, like lots of people, you were tempted by the kind of glittering jewels of, of the smart trainer. So you, um, as lots of people do, you upgraded again. Where did you go next? So from the Kirk Kinetic, I uh, got a Cyclops Powerbeam Pro. Uh, so it's also a wheel-on type trainer, same basic arrangement as the Kirk. So it was very easy to transition to that. Uh, and then immediately got to reap some of the benefits of just the fact that in Zwift, you get the simulation of the hills. So the first time you roll into a hill, it's a pretty kind of almost a, a small epiphany, really. You know, you just feel that resistance feedback. And, and if it's on a steep enough hill, you realize you have to shift. And, and it just takes that paradigm into another direction compared to inside riding prior to that. Yeah, I mean, that's a great description. And, and a lot of people, particularly those who work in kind of bike shops or who demo the the products with a smart trainer will be very familiar with that. It's that kind of dawning uh, on people's faces and in their legs that when it starts going uphill in Zwift, it feels like it's going uphill on the smart trainer. Now, lots and lots of people would kind of think you'd reach the sort of pinnacle of setup there. You've got a really good way of measuring power. You've got a really sturdy trainer, which changes resistance according to terrain. But it didn't end there for you, did it? Where did you go next? So um, did the same route as everybody else, pretty much doing a mix of training, uh, racing and group rides on Zwift. And at certain points, the training, uh, pardon me, the racing aspect of it really got interesting because as you experience races against other people who are on dumb trainers, the, uh, the resistance dropping off when you reach the crest of a hill and having to really accelerate hard uh, would lead to gaps. So from a racing perspective, I started experimenting with the trainer difficulty within there and found out that most people slide it down to a very low percentage, if not zero, uh, which then takes a very expensive smart trainer and makes it a very dumb trainer. So what I decided to do just based on the fact that lowering that percentage went down and I went, well, shoot, why am I doing this on uh, a smart trainer with no setting on it? So I switched back to my Kirk Kinetic and just wanted to see what it was like removing that simulation aspect from it and just go to that trainer. So I did that for approximately two months and did my basic schedule where I was training, doing casual group rides as well as racing and, and did all those essentially traveling back to the, the Kirk Connect dumb trainer. So you've gone from smart to dumb. I mean, that for many Zwifters is kind of counterintuitive. Um, but you obviously figure it's, it's right for you. Why? Uh, so I am primarily training indoors for performance outdoors and, and it's not like I'm a high class racer or anything, but I just want to better myself every year, especially against all my riding friends and, and groups that I, I hang out with in my area. So it's a matter of trying to improve my performance and, uh, the power meter is a key aspect of that for me, but, um, the smart trainer in trainer or in Zwift is really cool and has that neat feedback to it but when you start focusing more on the training and especially even in the racing aspect of trying to stay competitive it's almost seems like a, a minor detriment uh, compared to a dumb trainer and being in direct control of the resistance throughout the entire process really well you you find that the, the shifting according to terrain just what distracting or annoying or uh, it's not uh, annoying or anything, but it's uh, it's it's more intuitive, I guess, because you're doing the direct thing just like you would be outside. 
But uh, inside, when I'm in control on the dumb trainer, it just seems like I can really fine tune the resistance because, you know, if I want to go harder, I just simply grab one gear. If I really want to jump on it, I'll sweep up to the big ring if I'm not already there. So, and it's a more immediate change instead of waiting for the resistance in the simulation to feed back and give me that resistance so that I can ramp up the power. So it's almost like there's a, a little bit of an extra delay when you're on simulation mode at a high percentage anyway. So would you, I mean, what would you say to, to Zwifters and there's lots of them who are kind of lusting after a smart trainer, but perhaps balking because, you know, these things aren't cheap. I mean, you know, is there a really strong argument in your view for staying dumb? Uh, I think it depends on your focus. I see it as kind of two schools that people may find themselves in. Uh, one more like myself, possibly really focusing on the training and racing aspect and trying to improve as much as you can there. And for that purpose, I think a dumb trainer and a power meter uh, is a great combination. For someone who's jumping into Zwift and maybe dreads indoor riding and is looking for any type of thing on top of Zwift to help improve that experience, I think a smart trainer is a very good choice. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, I, you know, we love talking about kit and equipment on the Zwiftcast, and uh, it's an obsession that, that, that many, many, many Zwifters share. But, but to hear somebody kind of advocating uh, uh, with good strong evidence I have to say that the cheaper route um, or routes as I should perhaps say from our American friends that the, 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 the cheaper direction uh, that's a really interesting thing to to hear and, and particularly as I say given that you've you've kind of got the evidence to back it up yeah, and I don't know if it's firm evidence per se. I really took this from kind of a casual perspective. When I, I thought about the idea, my goal was, well, if somebody knew was coming into this and they really didn't know anything about it, how could they decide better? And there's a lot of really good smart trainer versus power meter um, threads and um, articles written out there. And I'd suggest if anybody's interested, they should look at those. But I wanted to try and boil it down to just a quick summary, and, and I think it really depends on a person's focus. If you're racing and training, I think a power meter coupled with a dumb is great. If you're looking to get the most out of Zwift, I think a smart trainer makes a lot of sense. Brilliant summary, Chad. Uh, a pleasure to speak to you, and thank you very much. I'm sure you'll have enlightened a lot of people. Thank you very much, Simon. Nathan, I think, I'm not absolutely sure about this, I think you, you train dumb, don't you? <laughs> yeah, as a coach, I like to say that I train dumb. I'm a very dumb trainer. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. that was a rather unfortunate phrase. You train on a on a dumb turbo, I should have said. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I uh, so not always. It depends on what the day requires. I do have multiple units here, uh, and if I'm doing force workouts, I go directly to a mountain and I put that on a hundred percent, and I grind that. Gear Year up that climb uh, at the wattage I'm looking for. It's uh, it's very beneficial for putting the force that is needed into the pedals on climbs to have a smart trainer when it comes from a training perspective. At the same time, uh, I get the feeling from uh, a a dumb trainer, uh, specifically one that has uh, a building resistance, the more you put into it, so like a magneto or something along those lines, where the harder you go, the more it pushes back at you, that you get this more real road feel that I experience actually, where if I'm going up and down hills, I'm able to shift enough on a road situation to continually have my watts fairly consistent and push through. And I actually feel like I get more of that feel on something like a mag trainer um so and also he had some great points in there about racing i don't feel like the responses in the racing are uh quick enough for what i would like and also the uh estimations on the wattages are not quite accurate enough for my likings when it comes to just straight using a smart trainer uh i would definitely want to have something that is uh you know a power meter matched with a smart trainer if i'm going to be doing both so that i get those wattage responses very quickly like you would from a torque based uh you know direct power meter source so and sounding like his setup being the um the power tap in the hub it's really difficult for him to do that uh as he's not able to uh have, well actually he's got a but he's got the uh, wheel on situation but uh still the uh the dropout is real that's for sure shane the reason i found this interesting was you know because most swifters i say most swifters huge generalization many 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 swifters 
who haven't got a smart trainer will be thinking a smart trainer is the bee's knees and they've got to have one and they may may feel a bit left out perhaps if they don't have one but I thought it was really interesting to hear from Chad that, you know, the, the Zwift experience, well, whilst it can be enhanced by a smart trainer, it's not entirely dependent upon one. Mm, yeah, very interesting. Um, look, I own more smart trainers than is healthy to own smart trainers, um, but I still love my Le Monde. I actually own two of those as well. So, and I'll be keeping the Le Monde. I'm on the, the Le Monde doing time trial efforts just because it's quite simple. And I feel the old school way, again, this is me showing my age, the old school way is always better. Um, for the I always go back to the basics and back to what's worked for me in the past. And that is on a dumb trainer. So surprise, surprise is there. Yeah. Well, interesting to hear Chad, who's obviously a thoughtful chap and a very experienced Swifter, um, come to the conclusion that he did. Okay. well, that's another podcast wrapped up, fellas. Shane, you've got the temerity, um, it being an Australian summer, to be out riding hills and chasing pros. Disgraceful behaviour. Yeah, well, uh, there's a guy called Chris Froome who rode past in a race today, Esteban Chavez. Uh, we had a few pros ride past because it's the Herald Sun Tour. So they raced up a mountain here called Falls Creek today, um, which was a 30-kilometer climb, won by Damien Housen by Orica Greenedge, one of the workhorses from es- for Esteban Chavez. Um, so it's good to see one of the workhorses and a local Aussie get the win, and that should tie the tour up, even though it's only stage one. So we shall see. Excellent, excellent. Uh, anything good coming up on YouTube from you shortly? Oh, look, um, speaking of the Le Monde, yes, I did a video on the Le Monde this week and how responsive and how accurate the power curve was from Z-Power on the Le Monde trainer. Again, two thumbs up there, um, but not quite all the thumbs up all the way. So watch the video to find out why. Um, and also today I released a video on, um, we did some Strava insights on what head units people are using in certain events. Really, really interesting stats. And if you're you know, interested in the iPhone versus Android wars, I've got some numbers you'll want to see. Nathan, uh, any good highlights coming up on ZCL? I have to say, it's it's quite it's quite once you tune into ZCL and start it running, it's it's, it's quite hard to leave it. Actually, it's it's quite compulsive viewing. You're doing a good job on that. Uh, yeah, the next things coming up would then be uh, at least in the next couple of days. Here, I'm actually in eight minutes. I'm doing the Kiss Down Under race, so we are continuing to serve Australia uh, and all the boys and girls down there, which is exciting. It's a and <laughs> yeah, what's that? Say that one more time, Shane. It's the center of the world. Everything's focused around Australia in the summertime. It's beautiful. <laughs> but you're covering races from the other side of the world. This is great. We're all just trying to get there right now, somehow. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we're trying to do is like live through you vicariously through Zwift somehow. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, and then I think we do have an event coming up with Cannondale Drapic with you, uh, Simon. So uh, we're going to be broadcasting that. I hear there may be some tour of California. California stuff coming up uh, as well that we're going to be doing with uh, maybe some special guests being highlighted. So uh, there's a, a lot coming down the line that we're super excited about. Now, listen, I, I know you you literally got to go because you're commentating on a race, but just one quick question. I mean, the, you know, you're really busy. I know how long all this stuff, stuff takes. Have you got time to ride your bike? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I rode three hours today. I rode three hours with Shane the other day. I mean, uh, we just fit it in where, uh, where because the way I've set up my computers is I ride and I have the keyboard in front of me. I literally, my keyboard is my handlebars and I get a lot of work done while on the bike, actually. If my keyboard was not in front of me while on the bike, that would not happen. Zone two emails. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, listen, I know you've got to go to commentate on a race, so it's a quick goodbye, boys. Um, thank you very, very, very much indeed. As usual, really good to hear from both of you. Watch out for the Cookaburras, Shane. I'm sure the uh, race coming up will be exciting. Thanks very much indeed, boys, and talk to you next time. Thank you very much, Cheers. Simon, and the listeners. See you soon. That's it, podcast fans. It just remains for me to say thanks very much to Zwift for their continuing support of the cast. And to remind you that ZHQ has no influence on what we say. Ride on, Zwifters.